Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22, and if it is your first time here at City Baptist, uh, thank you for joining with us. We're so glad that you're here today. But we're in a series right now following the life of David, really the story of a king who is to come. And in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we're going to continue that story. And to me, there's no real, uh, I guess, better place in David's story, although there's probably several examples in his life about fatherhood. But I think there's no better way maybe to relate to Father's Day uh, than with a Bible passage that begins with a desperate man in a mess of his own making. Uh, Because I believe that's how many fathers find themselves, desperate men in messes of their own making. Because regardless of whether or not we have children and we appear like men, uh, we still make a lot of mistakes. And we're going to see that today as David is sort of living the reality of some poor decisions that he made. Uh, Father's Day for me is is special as I think about uh, our children and and all that God has done. But Father's Day today is especially uh, special for me because today is June 18th, which is our youngest son's Royal's sixth birthday today. And so Royal's birthday is today. And you say, okay, you just want to, you know, love on your kids. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. Um, But it's special for me because Royal was born on Father's Day on a Sunday. And so it brings back many memories for me being in the hospital as he was born around 4.35 a.m. And then Jeanette telling me, I think I feel okay. We should just go home. So those of you that have been through that experience, uh, as a dad, I'm like, it's okay, just stay here. The hospital will take care of you. She's like, no, I think, I think I'm good. So by 9 a.m., we were home. Uh, we had the baby around 4.35, and by 9 a.m., we were home uh, with, our, with our fourth son there, and we're home, and Jeanette's feeling all right, apparently. So I said, well, I'm going to go, and I'm going to preach. We have church, right? And so uh, I, was, I was in church then, and I preached the message, and then I did what a lot of new fathers do is I made a big mistake. And I was tired. I'll give myself that. I was exhausted. Uh, it was, I don't remember what I preached that day. Uh, there's a few of you that were there. I have no idea what I talked about that day. Um, but I did preach. And then I made the mistake of saying to the entire church family, hey, we just had our baby. You're all invited to come over. <laughs> You're all invited to come over after the service. Now, did I ask Jeanette? Absolutely not, of course. Uh, As soon as I said it, did I regret it? Yes, but did I back up? No. I said, hey, everyone's invited over. So I got home after church, and Jeanette's there, you know, and uh, I said, hey, uh, just so you know, uh, I invited everyone to come over, and people already texted me, like, we're on our way, we're coming. I mean, like, right away. And so pretty much the entire rest of the day, people were visiting us and coming to see the new baby, and poor Jeanette, she was just exhausted. And uh, you've heard of the doghouse, right? And I was in it uh, for quite a while after that. Um, but that was a real special day, and today I was reminded of that, how often as dads we put ourselves uh, in poor situations. And uh, David, if you remember back with me to where we are in our series, David is in a really difficult situation. 
Over the last several months, his life had become a, a bit of a mess for this anointed future king of Israel. Remember, he's on the run. As far as we know at this point in the series, he doesn't have any support. There's no one that is helping him. The current king, King Saul, is determined to kill him. And in fact, David is what we would call public enemy number one. Meaning the entire nation knows that if you see David, you have the right to kill him on sight or you need to turn him in to make sure that he is taken care of. It was a very, very challenging set of circumstances. It was a very fearful time as David went from place to place hoping that no one would recognize him. It was such a desperate time in his life where we see a man who was once confident, who was filled with faith, a leader of men, a man who turned to God for all of his decisions and said, God, what is it that you want me to do? He rested on God's promises. He rested on God's power. But because of the desperateness of his situation, we find him not turning to God at all. And as a result, we see a pattern of poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. Remember, it all started with him going to Ahimelech, the high priest there in Nob, and deceiving the priest, lying to him specifically in order to acquire some food and a weapon that he wanted. Now, to David, it seemed like everything worked out. We'll find out later in the story that, in fact, it did not work out. And then we see him go from there and go to another place, uh, uh, go to uh, Gath. If you remember that, he goes to the Philistine territory. And there, and we were like, what is this guy thinking? He went to the hometown of Goliath, the guy that he had killed just a few years prior. And he goes there and he's seeking asylum. Well, he's hoping that no one recognizes. Well, he's so famous still that people understood and knew who he was. So they told Achish the king. And uh, I mean, it was, a, it was gonna be a problem for him. And so what does David do? He acts like a crazy person, which a lot of dads do. I'm going to tie in a lot of Father's Day things today, okay? He acts like a crazy person, and he uh, like literally acts like a crazy person. He scratches the walls. He starts to scribble, and he drools on his beard. And so, so much so that Achish, uh, this Philistine king, uh, said, listen, we just get this guy out of here. And so he narrowly escapes with his life. Now, this morning, as we continue our study, we see David right on the heels of that situation, and we see how when David now reached a point in his life where if he thought he couldn't be more overwhelmed, he is even more overwhelmed and in a very dark and difficult place. And what we're going to learn this morning, and this is what I love about the passage, and I hope that if you don't get anything else today, this is what you get, is that when we often find ourselves, when we are overwhelmed and it feels like uh, we, we don't know what to do, that's when God steps in and brings us encouragement and God brings us friendship and God even brings us direction. And so I'm excited to share with you the message this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 22. We'll begin in verse number one, but I wanna give you my first thought from the passage this morning, which is very simply, overwhelmed in the cave. We see David overwhelmed in the cave. Look at verse number one. It says, David, therefore, he departed, that's from Gath, from Philistia, and he escaped to the cave Adullam. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. Listen, it was only by the mercy of God. Now, David talked about that in the Psalms that he wrote during his time there in Gath. It was by the mercy of God that he escaped with his life. And now we see him going south. And it seems that he comes to this place, to this cave, which is identified by the nearby city, which is called Adullam. 
This new hiding place, if you can see here on the map, and I know the, the words are a little bit uh, small for us, that's why I put the big red arrow. There's the cave of Adullam, and where he came from was Gath, if you can see just to the west, and a little bit north of that is where he was. Now, if you'll notice over to the right-hand side, there's Bethlehem, his hometown. Uh, there's Gibeah, which is where King Saul is. And so while he is not in Philistine territory, he's still far away, far, far away from King Saul and his headquarters. And so he goes back to this place, it was in the foothills, and here we find him going to this cave near the city of Adullam. Now it's in this cave that David writes for us two Psalms, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142, and it gives us an understanding of the mental and emotional state that David had at this time. Now both Psalms are very similar in their tone, and maybe you can write those down and go back and read them later, but for today, to set the tone for the message, I want to read to you Psalm chapter 142 uh, in its entirety. So Psalm 142, Psalm 57 is the other one. I'll reference it here in a minute, but I want you to think for a moment. Imagine yourself at risk of your life. Imagine that you could not even go to a public place without somebody recognizing you and your life being in danger. This is the heart of David here as he writes this in the cave. Look at verse, I'll begin reading in verse number one of Psalm 142. It says, a prayer when he was in the cave. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, they have privily laid a snare for me. I looked at my right hand, and I beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto the Lord. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Now, I want you to notice the transition that's happening here. The first few verses, he's describing his situation. Nobody cares for me. Nobody cares for my soul. I look to my right hand, and to them that meant somebody who's on your side. I look, and there's nobody there. I'm completely alone. I'm overwhelmed in my spirit. I don't know what to do. And then here in verse number five, uh, he says, I cry to the Lord, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. Listen to me, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison. I mean, he felt like his soul was, was bound and in prison. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou hast dealt bountifully with me. This is the writing of a man who is completely at the end of himself. This is a man who is overwhelmed, who is surrounded on every side. But I want you to notice is that as he is pouring out his heart to the Lord, there's a change that takes place in his demeanor. Did you notice that? He said, I, I feel like I'm at the end of myself. But then we start to see a bit of a change. In verse 3, he said, when my spirit was overwhelmed, he says, then you, know, you knew my path, is what he said. So he recognized that even when he was overwhelmed, God knew his path. In verse 5, he said, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. So he says, he's crying out, but he's still recognizing that God is his refuge. God is his portion. Verse 7, he said, bring my soul out of prison. Why? So that I can praise your name. And he says, the righteous will, will surround me. You will deal bountifully with me. In Psalm chapter 57, the equivalent psalm, in verse 1 and 2, again, it says, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. He says, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusted in thee. In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth 
all things for me. I want you to notice that last phrase there. He says, unto God that performs all things for me. Simply put, this is what it means. He's saying, you are the God who will fulfill your purpose for me. You are the God who will fulfill your purpose for me. Now think for a moment how difficult that must have been for David. To be in this cave, to be hiding, to have no one with him, but yet still declare the fact that God had a purpose for him. Think about it. I mean, he's in fear for his life, but he says, God, I still recognize that you have a purpose for me. The Philistines, of course, we know would kill him the next time they saw him. Saul would kill him at the first chance. But yet in those circumstances, he speaks of a God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Now, this is a really powerful thought right here. Because this right here is an example to us of a Christian mindset when we find ourselves overwhelmed and when we find ourselves without direction. And what we can see is that even in the darkest of times, in the most difficult seasons of life, we can praise God and we can still put our trust in him because he is going to fulfill his purpose in us. I know you're tired and I know you're sleepy this morning, but that's something you can say amen to. I mean, even quietly in your head, that's okay, all right? That's something to be excited about. The fact that in great difficulty, God is still our refuge and our strength. Now, while Jeanette and I were away uh, this past week, uh, we, we, one of the things that we like to do together is we like to listen to audiobooks together. And uh, some of you husbands have a hard time communicating with your wife. Here's a great thing for you to do. Listen to books together with them. That'll give you some topic of conversation. And, uh, and, uh, and so we, while we were away, we listened to two different books. Uh, I mean, hours and hours. It was really great. But one of the books that we listened to and we finished on the plane ride home is we listened to a book uh, entitled In the Presence of My Enemies, and it's a story of a missionary family, Gracia and Martin Burnham. Now, by the way, I highly recommend this book, and I would say you need to get it. It's not a long book. It's an easy read, uh, but it's a powerful, powerful story. And it's a story of this family who were missionaries in the Philippines. In fact, they're aviation missionaries. And so they would dry, uh, fly uh, missions back into the jungle uh, areas and, and, and assist uh, medical missions. And they just did a lot of different things. Well, it came about, I think, in the month of March that it was their anniversary. And they're in the Philippines and, and their family's there. They have three children. It's their anniversary. And they said, let's go away for a night for our anniversary, which is a good thing to do. And so they find a place, it's on an island, and those of you that are from the Philippines, I've, I've only spent a little bit of time in the Philippines, but I've heard there's some amazing places to go on vacation, and it's really cheap compared to Canada. And so uh, they found one of those places, and it was on an island, and it's a secluded island, and they go there for their anniversary just for one night. They have some uh, people in their mission board watching the kids, and so they go, they go there on this, on this trip. Well, while they are there, the island is captured by the Abu Sayyaf, which is a Muslim jihadist group there in the Philippines. At that point, they and several others were kidnapped, put on a boat, and taken for ransom. For a year, for a year, this husband and wife were on the run with this terrorist group. When people found out, and of course they put out the ransom call to the U.S. government and to their mission board and to others uh, who refused to pay ransom for them, these terrorists then became the hunted. And so the Philippine army was going after them and trying to find them in the jungle and all of these different places, and so they were constantly on the move. Every day, she said, almost every single day, they would have to pack up and run. Oftentimes, the army would find them, and they didn't really apparently care that much about the hostages as they would throw grenades into the camp and just fire indiscriminately. 
In her time, she counted 17 different firefights where they had to hit the ground and there was a battle between the terrorists and the Philippine army and every time they escaped. And so, but they're the hostages. They're chained up, they're carrying all of this stuff and they had to run and they had to go. Well, in the book, in this memoir, she spoke, uh, the, the wife wrote the book and she spoke so many of the times. And one thing in particular she said that struck me is she said, so often when we were on the run and so often when we're sitting in the mud and don't have clothing and food, uh, they were starving them, really. So often she said, I feel like, I know God exists, but I feel like he doesn't love me. And I feel like he doesn't care about me. And I feel like uh, he, he, he doesn't know anything about me at all. And often when that happened, her husband, and I'm thankful for the testimony of her husband, he would encourage her. And he would encourage her with scripture. And they would sing songs that they had memorized in the jungle. And even though the, the Muslims would, would yell at them, uh, often just for singing, they would sing songs and they would quote scripture quietly under their breath. They tried to convert them to Islam many times during that but they would quote these scriptures. And she often spoke of the Psalms and relating to and connecting with David on the run and hiding and how it encouraged her and strengthened her so much. When they felt like giving up, they realized that God was their fortress and God was their strength. He was there for them, even in captivity. He was there for them. He was caring for their three children that they're apart from for a year. And as the story ends in a firefight with the Philippine army and her husband ultimately was killed, Today, she still speaks of God being her refuge and her strength in her time of need. Now, most of us will never find ourselves in a situation like that family or like David, but all of us can relate to the feelings that David is expressing here in Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. Feelings of loneliness, desperation, frustration, wondering if the difficulty is ever going to end. But I want to remind you this morning that just like David, it is still possible to trust God when you're overwhelmed. It is. So often when we get discouraged and overwhelmed, we look to every other thing. But I want to remind you that you can, and this is an example of somebody going through, through something that none of us will ever experience, hopefully, someone who still trusted in God. And I want to tell you, if David can be alone, hiding for his life, if he can have the faith to remember that God is his fortress and his strength, that God is there for him, if a missionary kidnapped by terrorists can find strength in the scripture in great loss, then so can you and I. We can also find great strength. But God needs to be your first option. He needs to be your first option. So often in the Christian life, and we're going through challenges, we exhaust every other option before we turn to Christ, don't we? I'll be honest, that's me, okay? That's me. And, and I see a difficulty and immediately my mind starts racing and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna change this and I'm gonna fix this and I'm gonna make, make this happen and I'm gonna, whatever it is. And, and, and then I get overwhelmed, right? Because my, my decisions typically don't work out very well. Typically I struggle in that or even if maybe it begins to work out, I still am not feeling fulfilled in that. And so we need to remember, we need to turn to God first. He needs to be our first option to trust in him and he's the same God now as he was back then. And so David teaches us a great lesson when he is overwhelmed in the cave. But secondly, this morning in the passage, I want you to see that he was encouraged in the cave as well. He was overwhelmed. His spirit was overwhelmed. But we also see encouragement coming. Look at verse number one again. It says, David departed. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. This is where he wrote those two psalms. And it says, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Now, this is where we see an amazing turn of events. 
we see something that's about to set up the future for David. We're not told uh, in the passage how exactly it happened, but somehow David gets word to his family where he is. At this point, we can assume that uh, his family was in danger. Now think about it. His family was in danger. Uh, Saul was the kind of guy that would go after your family. He was a very vengeful guy. I think we, I think we understand that. If he's going to throw a spear at his own son because his own son was friends with David, he's definitely going after his, his family. You know, let's go after his family, see who we can flush him out. So they were in danger, and they heard somehow where David was. I'm assuming David probably sent a message in some way. But now he's in the cave, and his family comes to him, and he's reunited with them there in the cave of Adullam. I think we'd understand, it says all his father's house, we'd understand it to be the extended family, uh, his immediate family. Now think about how encouraging that would be. David's on the run. We're not sure how long. It could have been up to a year at this point that he was on the run. But now here he is around people who loved him. For maybe the first time in a long time, his family was together. How thankful he would have been for the Lord bringing encouragement and support during this time. But it doesn't end there. Look at verse 2. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt And everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Okay, things changed very quickly here in just two verses. Not only did God bring him his family, which that could have been maybe 50 or 60 people if it was all of his extended family, but God also brings to him an army that begins to assemble. Now, I know when you read this verse, it looks like an army of misfits, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> Look at the description. Those that are in distress, that are in debt, those that are discontent. I mean, that doesn't sound like a great place to start an army, right? With just a bunch of angry people and upset people, a bunch of broke people. But if we look back to Samuel's prophecy... I think you would understand it a little bit better. In fact, uh, one commentator, Matthew Henry, he said this. He described them. He said, these were men of broken fortunes and restless spirits. I thought that was a great uh, description. I think we would agree with it if you consider the prophecy that was made. These men, think about it with me. These men were discontented. They were distressed. They were broke. Why? Because of the wicked king's terror on the land. That's why. Remember, God had said through the prophet Samuel back in 1 Samuel chapter number 8, if you remember back that far, he said that a king is going to come, and when you have a king, that's not God's plan, but when they get a king like Israel is demanding, that king is going to do a few things to them. First of all, he's going to take your sons and your daughters. Do you remember that? He's going to enslave them. They're going to have to serve him in his home. He's going to tax you. He's going to take a tenth of your, of your vineyards and of your crops. And he's going to take a tenth of your sheep and your oxen. He's going, to, he's going to tax the land. He's going to put laws in a place that were currently not there. And the king's going to do all of these things. He's going to make them uh, his servants. And in the end, as we read in chapter 18, the prophecy was made. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, which ye have chosen. I love that. God says, you you're going to have to live in the consequences of your decision. That's what he says. Now, God's the one who can say that, and it's coming true. And so we're seeing this group of men that were reflective of the desperateness of the people of Israel, and they had had enough. And so when they heard about David, and I'm not sure how they found out where he was, but they knew who he was. They knew that he was a great man, that he was on the run, and he was in odds with the king that had brought so much suffering to the land. And so they began to flock towards him by the hundreds. Some 400 of these men came and and linked up with David, and they, at that point, began to build a power base that would serve the nation throughout the years of his reign. Now, throughout all of this, let's not lose sight of the fact that God was bringing encouragement to him. Once again, God was proving to David that he could be trusted 
that God did have a plan, that there was a purpose in everything that was happening, and that the calling and the anointing that was on David's life, it was real. That's what he's doing here. He is reaffirming to him, listen, uh, I know it's been a rough time, and you've made some poor decisions, and I've rescued out of those, and it seems like all is lost and you're overwhelmed, but I don't want you to forget, David, that I'm here for you, that the anointing was real, my calling on your life is real, and I'm going to fulfill that purpose that is within you. And I love how God does that. God does that so often in our lives as well, as well when we're struggling and going through difficulty that he brings encouragement into our life. And do you know what he often does? He often brings encouragement into our lives through other people, through other Christians, through other followers of Jesus to come and, and bring encouragement. So I, I want to just say to you guys, you never know what somebody else is going through. And so all of us need to have the mindset of just being an encourager, of speaking truth to one another, of encouraging each other in the Lord. Even in a place like a Sunday morning service where everybody comes and everybody kind of sits down and everybody smiles and says hello, and it seems like everybody's got it, got it going together, this is a great place for you to speak truth and encouragement and scripture and encourage one another in the Lord. Because God will often use you in a way that you never thought possible. I love it when sometimes you encourage somebody and then they say to you, you, know, you have no idea how much I needed that right now. You have no idea how much I needed that right now. And all of us need to have the mindset of an encourager and what's so great is that God's going to bring encouragement to you in those difficult times. And so we see this encouragement in the cave, and, and David is being reminded about his purpose. What is happening here to David is something that's foundational to the Christian life, and it's a distinctive Christian mindset when we look at our world, is that it, even in the trials, even in the difficult circumstances, even in the times where we don't know what is going on, God is at work fulfilling his purpose in us. God is at work fulfilling his purpose in us. We often think of Romans chapter eight and verse 28 where it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. But in verse number 29, it says, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. What did he predestinate us to? To be conformed to the image of his son that, we, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You say, Pastor, what does this have to do? Often we quote, you know, uh, 828, all things work together for good to them that love God. And that is a true statement, by the way. It works together for your good, even though it doesn't look like what you think your good is. But the main purpose of life and the struggles that we go through and the blessings of having a heavenly father is that he uses all of those circumstances to conform us to be more like Christ. That's what it's all about. So for you that are going through a difficult season of life right now, God is using that and working that in you, if you'll allow him to, to conform you to the image of Jesus. And that's what the Christian life is all about, to becoming more like Christ, because he is the perfect example. He is the one that we should pursue for our life. And see, David, I believe, understood that. You say, how do you know that David understood that? Because back in uh, chapter 52 of Psalms and verse number two, when he talks about fulfilling the purpose, he stated two things. He said this, he said, God has a purpose for me. And he also stated, God will fulfill that purpose. So what David is saying is that in this dark, difficult season, God is still working things out. God is still doing his work in me. And as a Christian, it's hard to, it's hard to see it very often, but it's a wonderful place to live in, that position of trust. That position of trust that, you know what? God is working behind the scenes. And I want you to know, this is not some like worldly uh, psychology kind of an ideology, okay? This isn't about like positive thinking, right? You know, you can do whatever you put your mind to. I've tried, it doesn't work, you know? 
No, no, this is scriptural, this is biblical, which is when you're in the deep and dark seasons of life, you can trust and know that God is working things out for your good and for his glory, and he is molding you into the image of the son. But the problem is, is that we resist it, don't we? We fight against it, we push against it. We don't want it. We say, I don't want this, God. I don't want this in my life. But we need to embrace it, accept it. That is when you begin to see God's greatest work in your life. God has done his greatest work in me in the darkest seasons of my life. He has. He's done his greatest work in my spiritual life, in my marriage, in my fatherhood, in those dark seasons when I've learned to turn to him and to say, God, what are you trying to show me? I've said this many times to you, church family, you know, instead of asking God why, we need to say what. (laughs) What is it that you're teaching us? What is it that you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow through this situation? That mentality shift right there can help us approach difficulty in so many, in such a, in a better way. And so for David, he recognized that. And God is working in the cave and he brings them this encouragement But then thirdly this morning, I want you to see that there's a responsibility in the cave. So he's overwhelmed. He, 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 in his own heart, and his mind, he gets back to where he needs to be. And then God brings this encouragement to him. But then thirdly, there is a responsibility in the cave. Look at verse three and four. It says, and David went thence, so from Adullam, he went to Mizpah of Moab. And he said unto the king of Moab, let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. Just because David was going through a rough time himself, it didn't mean that he could forget about God's responsibility or the responsibilities that God had given to him. Now in these verses, what we see here is some insight into David's attitude towards his family. Now, I believe from this passage, what we know about David is that he had an intention to honor and protect his parents. And so what does he do? He makes a journey eastward, which was quite a bit, it was quite a journey. And remember, he's still on the run for his life. We don't know. We, we believe he didn't take his family because he says, can my parents come here? So he went either by himself or maybe with a few other men, but he makes a very long journey east, in fact, over the Jordan River to an enemy territory of Moab, and he comes to them and he makes this request. Now, again, you might be thinking, why is he going to enemy territory? This seems like another bad decision by David, but I want you to remember something. David's great-grandmother was from Moab. Do you remember the book of Ruth? That's David's great-grandmother, and she was from Moab. And so it was more than likely this was the reason that David went over there. Maybe there was some extended family that he knew about, but he goes to the king of Moab, and maybe he just said, hey, you know, my, my great-grandmother is a Mo- Moabitess, and so, you know, based off of her citizenship, I'm coming to you, and I'm asking uh, for protection for our family. And it was more than likely because of that family heritage that the king then grants his request. His parents then, in fact, did go, and they stayed in Moab and were protected as long as David was hiding and unable to provide a safe place for them. In other words, what do we see here? David was putting his family first. And this is why I said it's so fitting that we're covering this on Father's Day, because the example given is what is needed today in our society. Because in so many lives today, the role of father as protector and provider is looked down upon. In fact, in our society today, a a father that is responsible for his family is viewed in some as a toxic relationship. Or it is replaced 
completely with a, you know what, just take care of myself first. But for those of you that are here this morning who are fathers or who are preparing to be a father or one day you hope to be a father, I want to remind you that if you are blessed with the role of being a father, then you have a responsibility to your family. And the responsibility that you have for your family is to care for them, to protect them, and to live your life for them and not for yourself. That is the responsibility and the example that we see in Scripture. It does not matter if you personally are going through a difficult season of life. You are still responsible for what God has given to you. And so you face your trials. Listen, dads go through a lot of different difficulties and trials. But you still face those trials in the strength of your God. You get your heart right with the Lord and you, you get those things figured out and you work on those things. And you still, though, care for your family and carry on the responsibilities that God has given to you. You know, your children are watching you. Your children, dads, are watching you and they are seeing how you respect your own parents. They're seeing how you respect and care for your wife, how you respect and care for them. And I'll tell you this, it's a biblical principle that how you treat your family and respect your family, your children will treat you in the same way. They will treat you in the same way. That's why scripture is so strong in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that says, if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's a really strong verse right there to dads. If you're not willing to provide and be there and protect your family, you're worse than an infidel. You know, many of you grew up in a home where your dad did not take this seriously. Many of you, I know many of your stories, you grew up in a home where your father was maybe absent or you didn't know your father or that uh, he lived only for himself and you know the effects of what that looks like. By the way, a man can still be in the home and be an absentee father, can't he? He can still be in the home and be an absentee father. But it should not be the case for Christian men. And in David here, we see an example of someone who was dealing with his own stuff, right? We always say that. I'm just dealing with my own stuff right now, okay? But yet, what did he do? He said, I have my family here. I have a responsibility to them, and I'm going to make sure that they're protected and cared for. He did not allow his personal circumstances to affect the way that he treated his family. And I am imploring you dads here today. We live in a society that gives fathers so many passes, you know, so many passes. But listen, guys, we need to be strong. We need to be leaders. We need to be there. We need to be responsible for our families. It's an epidemic of absentee fathers in our society today. Just this morning, as I was, um, I was browsing a couple things this morning, I had a minute, I sat down and I looked at my phone for a minute and uh, I came across several different stats of, of what happens to children in absentee father homes. I would encourage you to look it up. Look it up in our own, in, in Canada, even the stats in Canada, it's amazing. The correlation between absentee fathers and criminal activity and struggling in school and behavioral disorders, so many different things that are connected to, directly to, fathers not being in the home and fulfilling the role that God has given to them. I think it's so fitting that we, we have this short couple of verses here. Because I want to encourage your, you dads to take your responsibility seriously. Even if you are dealing with stuff yourself, even if you are struggling, and there's a lot of things to struggle with, God has still called you. And I tell you what, that should be a motivation for you to get your stuff sorted out. That should be a motivation for you to get things right so that you can be there for your kids, be there for your wife. You know, the, day, uh, the cave that David found himself in was a very powerful place. 
When he first arrived, he was alone. He was desperate. He was overwhelmed. And when he left, he was encouraged and he was fulfilling his God-given responsibilities. Why? Because he reminded of himself. He reminded himself that God was in control. He reminded himself that God had a purpose and God had a plan for his life and that it was God, not himself, who had to work things out. You know, you can't read this story in this passage without thinking about Philippians chapter one and verse number six. Being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know what season of life you're in today, but I wanna encourage you with this. Keep your eyes on the Lord. I don't know what desperate situation you find yourself in. I don't know if right now you are feeling completely overwhelmed. Fathers, dads, I'm gonna talk to you for a minute. I don't know if right now you're feeling completely overwhelmed with work and responsibilities and a family and children. It can very easily get a little out of control and you feel lost and you feel like, you know, you're on a ship in a storm and you don't know what to do. Can I remind you that God placed you in that family for a purpose and for a reason. You are the best father for your family. You are. There is no one else in this earth, no one else in this earth who can be the father that your child needs. And God has gifted your child to you. And so even though you might be struggling, and I know sometimes dads, we have conversations, we get together and we're just like, I don't know what's going on with my kids, you know? (laughs) I don't know what is happening. I wanna remind you today that God's plan for your life is that child. It is that wife that you committed to. That's God's plan for you. And that is your responsibility now. And so get yourself together. You say, how do I do that? What we talked about today, get your eyes on Christ. Get them off yourself, get them off your circumstances, get them off your abilities and what you think you can do to figure things out and get your eyes back on Jesus Christ and realize that he is working something in you. So let's be responsible dads, husbands, let's be responsible. Let's take care of those that God has blessed us with and let's trust God and let's just live for him today and leave the results up to him. He is ultimately the one in control. And that, I tell you, can radically change your outlook on life. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.